the CEO of your life in biz? I'm Emily Alderson, and I'm on a mission to elevate the beauty industry one success story at a time. If knowledge is power and seeing is believing, imagine what could happen if you expanded your mind to the possibilities. What kind of shift could you make happen? This is Stories with Stylists. Hello, welcome to Cosmo CEO, the podcast. Our guest today is Michelle Cook. She's a CPA, former hairstylist turned accountant. So I'm super excited to pick her brain on all things money and the behind the scenes of our business. Um, She also just launched her course, Profit That Counts. That is going to be hugely important to anybody getting into the industry or if you've been in for a long time and are still figuring out all of the money stuff in the back end of your business outside of painting hair. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to you, Michelle. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Emily. I wanted to know um, outside of like the business logistics, formal introductions, where are you from and what led you to cosmetology? Yeah, okay, so where I'm from, I actually originally grew up near the San Francisco Bay Area, but now I live in a really tiny town called St. George, Utah, and it's just like a little desert town. It's mm-hmm. adorable. Uh, what led me to cosmetology? So I was in high school and they had this amazing program where you could pay $500 and do the entire thing. Like all you did was buy your kit and then you were good to go through the program. Um, so I saw that as an amazing opportunity and, you know, a lot of people say that like their family wasn't very supportive or like people like talk down to them about it, but like my family was totally supportive and my dad was thought it was a great idea. And so anyways, everyone was on board and I went through, um, during high school, I went part-time and then after I finished high school, I went full-time and then, and then I graduated and I had no idea or direction of what to do. And. I felt kind of lost. And I thought my only option was to do booth rental. I didn't even really know that I could be a commission stylist. Anyways, so then I went to college to try and learn business. And then I ended up in accounting. So here we are. So did you ever really work behind the chair? Not technically. Like, I I did a lot of like friends haircuts or like whatever in the dorm rooms kind of thing. But I never, I actually never licensed because I graduated cosmetology school in California but I went to university in Idaho and the hours requirements were different and I was like already doing my bachelor's degree and it didn't make sense for me to go back to cosmetology school anyways and then I decided to change my path and it didn't really make sense anymore yeah to even finish that's so cool and then how long into doing accounting did you kind of circle back to like hairdressers need my help Yeah, it took a while because I wasn't working for myself for a long time. I needed to, you know, kind of apprentice or, you know, whatever for other accountants. So it was probably about eight years before I circled back and I went out on my own. And then when I went out on my own, my very first client was a nail salon. And it was just like one of those moments where I was like, well, duh, of course it was a salon. Like, of course, that's like how it would end up working out. It was just like the universe kind of came in and showed me my path. Perfect. And then how long have you been working on your own and with stylists? Let's see here. There was a little bit of um, like overlap when I worked with my previous firm because I wanted to build up a clientele before I left. So I 
like kind of built up some of my own clients, but I've been like officially out on my own for just over a year. Cool. It's kind of interesting the parallel between like building a clientele for us and for you too. It's similar. Do you, do you find um, in kind of like finding your niche market that you just like took anything that came in the door or did you kind of? Yeah, you know, it's so there are so many parallels actually between what I do now and the beauty business. It's really funny, but yeah, you know, kind of at first, like you're putting your name out there and then like you just get random people that approach you and you're like, oh, great. But then once you find your niche, it's just so much more efficient because you can dive so deep. You get like all of the knowledge for that one area. Someone asks you a question and they think it's complicated, but since you do it every day, it's just no big deal. You know what's going on. So I'm, I'm a huge proponent of niches because if you don't niche, then you are always learning something brand new. And it's not that learning is a problem necessarily, but you don't really get the return on them, the investment of learning because you're always learning and you like, you don't have, you're not using that knowledge over and over again. Does that make sense? I would imagine too, in your industry that the laws and things are constantly changing. So you're going to have to learn all the time anyway. So it's at least kind of like keep in one category makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially this year, it's been a crazy journey for all of us. (laughs) My salon, we actually have a CPA that's in the um, suite next to us. And, um, He's kind of a grumpy old man, but he was like, when we first opened, he's like, well, you're going to see me about three months out of the year and then I'm going to be gone. And it's true. It's like the great migration, like for a few months, it's cars every day, people in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And then they're just like, oh yeah, Sleep oh yeah, they're not here anymore. This year though, since they extended the deadline, does it feel busier or does it just feel drawn out? Yeah, it was. So actually one of the reasons why I went into taxes is because right? You get that very seasonal work. So like during the summer when my kids are out of school or things like that, you know, like my work's way down and it kind of like matches the school year. So it's really good for me. Um, so yeah, it was just like a very drawn out, but it wasn't, it was busier because there were all these tax law changes and, and there were so many people who had never worked with a CPA before that really needed that additional counsel that like they thought they could do it on TurboTax before, but then they realized, oh, there are a lot of things like I've just kind of been winging it, but now I like actually need my stuff together. Um, so there were a lot of like new people reaching out for that reason and just trying to help the clients that I already had. So yeah, it's, it's been a year. <laughs> And everyone says the gift of time. And I was like, I have no idea about that gift because I did not get that gift, (laughs) but I won't complain because I got the gift of having work and a lot of other people didn't. So like, uh, we're all in the same storm, but we're on a different boat and that's kind of how it felt. We're all like that analogy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I imagine next year will be a similar circumstance because I mean, we did our taxes prior to everything, so it didn't really like affect any of that, but now going forward, like we have the SBA loan. I've been on employment. I don't have any idea what all that means. So um, let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, unemployment and taxes. 
how I don't even know I've never done it before in California I mean it's been on for months but I would imagine everybody's been on for some sort of time so what does that look like as far as like if you put away for quarterlies or um, if you checked the right boxes on your form when you file tell us a little about that yeah so okay so first thing to know is that unemployment is taxable income and that's really heartbreaking for some people like I know the extra $600 that was going out earlier this year actually some people were earning more that way but for a lot of people they weren't and so it's hard when you're earning less and you've got to pay taxes on it it's like feels like a double hit but I would say the same thing that I say for business income save 20 to 30 percent of that money for taxes later because you're going to have to pay your state taxes and your federal taxes. Okay. Um, but you won't have to pay self-employment tax. Um, I've seen that in a lot of people's bookkeeping lately where they put their business bank account as the account to put the unemployment in. But unemployment is actually a person, a payment to you as a person, not your business. So that's good because of self-employment tax the unemployment is not subject to that. Okay. And it's okay. Yeah. Totally, yeah. It's totally I, fine. If you put it in your business account, it's just that when you do the bookkeeping, you would just want to put it as um, you could call it an owner investment, if you will. Um, Cause that's when you put as an owner, you put money into the business. It's an owner investment. Um, if you've coded it to income, just hopefully you've separated it from like your service income because you don't want to accidentally like give your PL to the accountant at the end of the year. And if it's just your PL says services, they're not going to realize there's unemployment income in there. So mm-hmm. make sure it gets broken out. Makes sense. Um, Michelle has a course, Profit That Counts, and she is like QuickBook master. So you will be like a professional, right? When you're, when you're, done learning all that all if you didn't know what any of those code words meant <laughs> you'll know after <laughs> yeah sorry that's what's so confusing it's like learning a new language but once you um just get used to it I imagine just like anything else like then you just make it a habit and track everything so um on when you do your filings there is a check for having them hold taxes that's just at the state level you're saying still put away a little more okay so if you've had them withhold good I've totally recommended people do that um they typically don't withhold enough that's the problem and every state is different so some states will just withhold 10 percent for federal and nothing for the actual state um it's just you know just be aware of what's actually being withheld and kind of keep a tab on it and see 20 to 30% is what I say in a normal business year. That might actually end up being a little high this year because if your income's lower, you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. So just kind of, you're going to have to look at everything on a whole. If you've been in, you know, California, you've been shut down for pretty much the entire year then yeah, you're like down in that 20% range, you're probably going to be fine. If you've 
were just shut down for maybe six weeks, like some states were, then you probably do want to go closer to that 30%. Yeah. Yeah, that's good to know. I I had always heard 30, but um, I was just talking to our esthetician the other day and she said something about 10%. I'm like, no, no, that's not enough. <laughs> like, who told you that? <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of, I feel like always better safe than sorry to have that like net, you know, that safety net of savings and it's either there or it's not, you know, it's easier to just have it and then maybe either give yourself a bonus at the end of the year if you didn't use it all or let it roll over into the following year. Yeah, absolutely. Some people are like, oh, I can't afford to put more than 10% away. And it's like, for me, it's like, well, if you can't afford it now, how are you going to avoid it? Afford it when the tax bill comes? It's, it's going to be even harder then. So it's better it's just coming now. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, this is, I mean, kind of a whole other side note, but like what I see on my end is there are people who don't make their estimated payments during the year. And this happens so often when it's your first year in business because they don't, people don't realize they have to make these payments. So then they get to the end of the year, they have a $10,000 tax bill and they're like, oh crap, what do I do about that? And then like, they don't even find out until April 15th that they have this bill. And then they don't realize that hey, you were already supposed to be making quarterly payments for January through March of the next year. So it's like this snowball that like just hits you. So it's, you know, just so that people don't freak out, you can set up a payment plan with the IRS. It's something you can do online on their website. You don't even need a CPA necessarily to do that for you. So if you are behind, know that that's an option for you. But I just say that to say, don't let the snowball happen to you. You know, if you take care of it, every two weeks or every month and you're just putting away as the time goes by your nest egg is going to be there pull it out for profit at the end of the year give yourself an extra bonus yeah that literally is my story my first year in business um I went from kind of it's weird in California we have like commission stylists and booth runners and there's that kind of gray area um but yeah when I was on my own I had that literally ten thousand dollar bill at the end of the year and I was like I, I, you know, and I thought I was doing all the right things. I had my business account set up and I was tracking things and yeah, I just had no idea, but I will say, um, it was scary, but they do work with you, get that payment plan set up. And I mean, you just tell them how much you can pay really. I mean, the sooner you get it done, the more you can get back on track, but, um, it was a pretty easy process to get it figured out. And I sure never made that mistake again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a hopefully only once in a lifetime. <laughs> but I think, you know, having courses like this where pe people are talking about money, and I think um, in our industry and women in general, like taking the taboo of talking about money is so, so, so important because if we don't talk about it, we don't know. Like, I didn't know that I needed to do this. And I think being able to talk to somebody about money, how much are you putting away for taxes? How much do you make? Like, that shouldn't be a taboo question. People need to know just to have a standard idea. They're, I don't know. I just want to try and take the shame or the stigma around asking questions like that because it's so important. Well, and people feel like when it happens to them, they feel so embarrassed, like, oh, I'm the only one. And like, I can promise you, you are not the only one it happens all the time. So there, there just doesn't need to be that shame around it. Like there's no shame. There shouldn't be any shame when 
you just didn't know, you know, you just do your best and you move forward and you can't really change the past, but you can move forward and make a different choice. And so that's what, that's the only thing you can do is just do it differently. Right. Why do you think this is kind of a broad question, but why do you think it is that money and finances aren't really taught in schools at any level? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's such a good question. Um, I, there was a meme once I saw that was like, I know how to do the Pythagorean theorem, but I have no idea what to do on a 1040, <laughs> which is the individual tax return form. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's like, you know, you'll never use the Pythagorean theorem probably the rest of your life, but that was supposedly super important for us to learn in school. Yeah, I wish there would be a little bit more education, um, especially once in the beauty schools, because so many beauty professionals are business owners, you know, a high percentage of that population. So you would think there would be a little bit more money talk, but I remember in my beauty school, there was one day that our teacher talked to us about money and it wasn't anything. It was just like, how much do you guys think you're going to make out of school? That was, that was the conversation. <laughs> and so it really is something that's so important. And that's kind of honestly why I created my bookkeeping course, because at least, you know, in the past, it's been something really expensive to like hire a CPA and to get one-on-one -on -one training for all these things. So I thought if I can just make a course specifically for beauty professionals, it's $1.99. Like anyone can afford that. It's such and, value. And now you can know exactly what you need to do from beginning to end. At the end of the year, you have all the reports you need to give to your tax accountant. It's all ready. So anyways, that was kind of like my goal in all of this is to give people an affordable option, especially because you need it your first year. And you're not probably making very much money your first year because you have all your startup expenses and you're still building a clientele. Yeah, that's so amazing. Um, so let's say you, you do your course and you've mastered your bookkeeping. You still want somebody, I mean, this isn't just like plug into TurboTax and you're good. You still recommend seeing somebody to file your taxes. I do generally recommend that. There are some people who just love to DIY. So if you're like, a real DIY person, if you don't have some more complicated things, like if you don't have employees, if you don't have an S corp, if you don't have depreciation and you don't mind taking 20 hours to like research and actually make sure that everything's done correctly, like you probably could DIY it through TurboTax. Or if your time's more valuable than that, you can just hire a CPA. I will always pay for convenience and expertise. I, you had a quote on your um, Instagram page that I love that said, if you think it's expensive to hire a professional, wait until you hire an amateur. And I just think that's so true. And again, the parallel between your industry and ours, like there are reasons that people do all the research, you know, and be the best at what they do. Just take advantage of that and pay them what they're worth. Yeah. And I mean, I can attest to this on the other side. So I did go to beauty school, but I mean, it's been 15 years and my husband was making me cut his hair and I just give the worst haircuts. They're terrible. And so I just was begging him always, please go to a barber. And he just like, didn't want to spend the money, blah, blah, blah. Well, finally we were doing family pictures and I was like, okay, at least for family pictures, go get it done. 
he got so many compliments after going to the barber that he like finally realized, oh yeah, Michelle does give really crappy haircuts. <laughs> so, <laughs> once you like experience what it's like to have it done right, it's like, okay, it's totally worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. I kind of like in the beginning when I started my business, like fumbling around how it works. And I think I went to like, um, I didn't do it myself, but I went to like, um, you know, the people that are flipping the signs on the street corner kind of mm-hmm. vibe. And it, it just felt that nobody really understood our industry in a way, like what the write-offs are and how the, the hours work or like, so you're a small business? Are you an independent contractor? Are you this? Are you that? And you're just like, I don't know, you know? <laughs> and I think that's especially now, um, as things evolve, we aren't going to work for a corporation. You know, we're either renting our chair or having some sort of commission program. And now salon suites are taking off like crazy. Um, so what would you categorize? Or I guess, what is the you know, 1099 schedule C what is that for like booth runners versus commission versus salon suite versus yeah okay so if you're a commission stylist you're an employee and you're getting a w-2 assuming your salon owner is doing everything legally because I know that's also an issue in the industry where you're getting a 1099 as a general rule if you are receiving a 1099 in the beauty industry your salon's probably doing it wrong um as far as if you're a booth renter or a salon suite renter, you are not an independent contractor. I know we like call them like an independent beauty professional. Like, and I think because they both have the word independent in there, we like mix it up. Mm-hmm. An independent contractor receives money from the business for their services. But as a booth renter, suite owner, you're not receiving money from the suite you're receiving it directly from your clients so you are just a sole proprietor business owner um if you have an llc you're also like at least from a tax perspective it's the exact same a sole proprietor and llc and then you might end up being an s corp as you like build a clientele and you have a larger income coming in so sorry i know they're (laughs) it's kind of confusing but but I, i guess my short answer is the Schedule C that you referred to is what a sole proprietor or a single owner LLC would file. Um, if you did get a 1099, that's also the form you would file. And if you are an LLC with more than one owner, then you're considered a partnership. And that's a whole different tax return. Or if you are an LLC who's elected to be taxed as an S Corp, that's a whole different thing too. So. There are a lot of different options out there. Um, that's why I think it's, um, I know, beneficial to, one of the benefits of having a CPA is because you can ask them, like, what should I be? What should I be doing? And you get that extra level of guidance. I think that makes sense as long as if you start with the bookkeeping on your own, once you get to that point, once it's time to file and stuff, they'll help you, guide you in that direction. Right. Because other than that, it's pretty much the same. It's mostly in the filing. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's been a really important thing now with the PPP loans coming out because 
everything's been treated differently depending on what kind of entity you are. And so there have just been so many questions around that. And so it's good to have some guidance and make sure things were set up correctly. Uh, one really sad thing that I saw this year was there was an S Corp whose prior CPA didn't tell them that they needed to run payroll. When you're an S Corp, you're an employee of the company and you've got to run payroll, but because they were an S Corp and they didn't run payroll, they didn't even qualify for the PPP. So it was like heartbreaking. They're like totally out of work and then they don't even qualify for the government assistance because their CPA didn't set them up correctly. So it was really sad. Yeah, it, it felt very much um, in the beginning, like almost like a lottery in a way. My uncle um, is retired, but he was in finances for a long time. And he's like, Emily, just apply for everything. Just apply for it all, you know, and then figure out because they're kind of just making it up as it goes along. And so we ended up getting um, for my salon, the SBA loan, but like nothing individually. And I think like that too, I own a salon, but I also work in my salon. So it's almost two different entities. And yeah, the SBA loan versus the EIDL and the PPP. Can you talk on that a little bit? Okay. So the SBA, the Small Business Administration is the like entity that's administering both the PPP and the EIDL. The PPP is a forgivable loan program wherein if you use the money appropriately for payroll, rent, and utilities, and you have to use at least 60% of that for payroll, then you apply for forgiveness. You don't have to pay any of it back. So the PPP is for sure like the better option out of those two because you don't have to repay it. Um, the EIDL is a 30-year loan, um, does have to be repaid. It's, it's a low interest rate, 3.75%. So I know some people didn't realize the forgiveness aspect of the PPP. And so they saw, well, the PPP monthly payment is X and then the EIDL is like way lower monthly payment, not realizing they would never have to make the PPP monthly payment if they just use the funds appropriately. Right. And of course the EIDL loan payment is much smaller because it's done over 30 years. So it's, it's a long-term commitment to pay that loan off. Um, the EIDL, the nice part about that is you can use it for a lot more things. You know, the PPP was payroll, rent, utilities, that's it. Mm -hmm. But the EIDL, you can use it for just any normal operating business expense. So if you needed to buy more inventory or more supplies, things like that. Um, the one thing that they kind of flip-flopped on, but where we're at right now is if you got the grant or the advance with the EIDL, if you're like single owner um, with no employees, it was $1,000 or it was $1,000 per employee. Um, if you got both the PPP and the EIDL, then they're going to reduce your forgiveness on the PPP by however much EIDL grant you received. So let's say you received $10,000 of PPP and you had $1,000 of EIDL essentially they're only going to forgive 9,000 of the PPP and that $1,000 will be left over. It's, you know, that makes sense. it all kind of washes out essentially. Um, what I don't love about the EIDL, which made me really nervous is when it started coming through, I was having, you know, small salons, like 
two or three employees being offered like a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> and it was, I feel like companies are being offered too much money more than what they need to make it through. And I just like hope and pray that people don't take on too much debt, like more than what's needed because it is a loan that has to be repaid over 30 years. It's a long, long long-term commitment. Yeah. So my son, I have a partner. Um, so we have a partnership and we got $45,000 and, um, yeah, over 30 years. And I looked at Andrew, I was like, you realize we just got married. Like this is a huge (laughs) commitment, you know? Um, yeah, we'll take it for now and being closed as long as we are. Mm -hmm. It's nice that it's, it sits there, but so we have a year to repay it. Um, I mean, our plan is just to give it all back, you know? I think a lot of people have done that where they've kind of said, I don't know what the future holds. So I'm just going to take the money that's offered and I'm just going to let it sit in the account. And, you know, maybe I'll pay, end up paying a few grand in interest just to have that security, but at least I've got the money sitting there. So yeah, I think a lot of people have done exactly what you're doing, you know, just in case. Just in case. Yeah. I mean, we definitely used it for all the things that we needed to reopen, all the new supplies, restocking inventory and that sort of thing. So in that sense, it was, it was good to have, but um, it didn't feel like at the time, you know, you're taking away our business. And now we worked so hard to like, we have no credit card debt. We have no debt from like opening and the building and stuff. So my option is more debt. We were like, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, it just kind of felt like, okay, I guess that's, that's the option. But yeah, for sure. There, and there, you have to weigh it. And I think in your situation, like what you've done is the smart thing, but maybe there are other businesses where they already have a lot of other debt. And like, maybe it's better to close for, I don't know how long and then reopen, like when things have settled versus taking on the debt, because your business may not be able to carry that debt. And if you can't pay it back, then, you know, that's going to mess up your credit score. If you've got over $25,000 on the loan, then you've got to put up collateral So there's, you've got to look at it in a big picture. And like, I know everyone's kind of freaking out right now. And they're just like, okay, all of the money, give me all of the money. (laughs) Um, But it would just be wise. Like, it's fine to like take out the loan and everything. But like, before you start spending it, just come up with a plan. Like, okay, here's, here's what we're doing. You know, these are the things that we'll spend it on. And just see where it goes from there. Um, I just, you have to, like, if you were a break-even salon beforehand, and then you're agreeing to pay even only $300 extra a month, well, you didn't have that $300 extra a month in your cash flow. So how can you expect to repay it? So you've got to, like, you know, think big picture, kind of take a moment to say, what's really going to be the best financially for me and my future, because no one can ever take away your skills as a stylist. Like you can always restart. You're always going to be able to do something different. Um, You know, maybe you do a suite instead of having owning a slot, you know, I'm just saying there are options out there. 
I think you have to open your heart to those options, even though that's not what you really want. But we just don't know what the future brings. It's really hard right now. I know a lot of people are really stressing out. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I have friends in the industry that have like big salons with lots of employees and huge leases, you know. And so the pressure for everyone is a little bit different, but it's there for all of us, you know. I think that's what's so important about understanding the back end of your business, all this money stuff. The reason people like you and I are putting out courses like that is that you really have to know your numbers. That way you can weigh your options, right? Like knowledge is power. So if you don't have that knowledge, how are you going to understand what you need to do or what the right step is for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, One thing I did want to point out at like this exact moment in time the PPP application has been closed. Um, there is still money in the fund. So they're talking about reopening it, but everything's just kind of going crazy because they're trying to renegotiate unemployment and stimulus packages. So at this moment, you cannot apply for the PPP if you haven't already, but just keep your eye out because it, it my guess is it probably will reopen. Okay, I'm glad you said that because I did want to ask about that. What's still available now or is it just kind of too late? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, kind of like with the EIDL, um, it did close for a time period and then they did reopen it later. So I think we're kind of seeing like little pauses and breaks as they realize that their original plans weren't sufficient for (laughs) what everyone needs. And especially since there's money left in the fund, I have a hard time believing that they wouldn't reopen it. Right. Um, I wanted to ask, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, when these loans were coming out, it was, it did matter um, your credit score. It did matter your standings in that sort of way. I wanted to talk about a little bit about how traditionally we can kind of be in a cash business or like hiding money and that sort of thing. We talk on that a little bit and how it pertains to like, is it really worth it? How much you hide versus paying your taxes and how it affects things like loans and that sort of thing. Yeah, totally. This is a really, really big issue in this industry. And it's um, not as big as it used to be because so many companies are mostly using credit cards. So cash payments aren't nearly as common as they were. But I know, at least when I was in beauty school, everyone would say, oh, the nice part about being in this industry is you get cash tips and you just like pocket those and then you don't have to claim them. So that's what like everyone said around school when I was there. So here's the risk when you do that. One, you could be audited by the IRS and they have like a whole technique guide on how to audit cash-based businesses. And so if they're finding things like they'll pull your schedule like oh you had this these clients okay well Susie came I don't see anything in your credit card charges for Susie so like I know that she came here this day because she's in your schedule so what's going on here you know I'm just saying like you think that because it's cash and because you never deposit into your account that they're not going to know but like there are ways if you get audited that they can find out Um, and they're, once they start finding discrepancies like that, then they can just make some estimates on your behalf of what they think your tips were, things like that. So it's definitely scary to think like, oh, I could 
one, still have to pay those taxes if I get audited, plus penalties and interest on all of that. But then bringing it back to the loan discussion, your income is lower. You know, 20% of your income is tips probably. Well, now your income's 20% lower. Now you get a less loan that you can qualify for because your income's so much lower. And that's like, not just on these, but like, if you want to buy a home, if you want to buy a car, any kind of um, credit situation, it's going to impact it. So you think that you're getting away with something <laughs> when you do it. And yet there, you know, are all these consequences on the other side of it. So it is important to claim everything. Yeah. I feel like it's not just, um, if I get caught or not, but like the real adulting type stuff, wanting to open a salon, wanting to buy a house, wanting to buy, you know, those big things where having that money on paper, it, it's helpful and it matters. Yeah. It's, um, it's like a tangled web as well. Once kind of like you're saying, you're like, you got to adult, you know, once you set up a process for yourself and you follow those processes, you're making your life easier. So if you have a process, like if I did get paid in cash, I deposit it into the bank. Well, that makes your life easier because one, when you go to do your bookkeeping, your like bank accounts are connected to QuickBooks. So it's automatically going to download that transaction into your QuickBooks. So you, now you don't have to do any extra fiddling around in QuickBooks to know what to do. Um, you don't have to wonder, did I miss something when tax time comes? Because you, you know, you already have the process in place. If you just follow your processes, it kind of takes the mess out of it. Yeah. And then if you get audited, then you also have this record, like, here's my cash deposit right there. And, you know, once they see that you have records and processes, um, it's amazing what happens with the IRS. If your records are all over the place, they start like wanting to dig in really hard. If you can give them like something clean that shows this is what I've done they like don't feel like they need to dig in as much because they feel like they can trust that you've got processes in place. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I, I don't know why it just kind of remind me of um, the state board test. You know, you're in a room with, I think there's like eight or nine people and the proctor can kind of tell like who knows what they're doing and who's not. So you have a little bit more that leniency, but um, yeah, that makes sense if you're just like, no, look, I, I actually do the things. You're like, okay, she's probably good versus like, this girl's a mess. Here we go. We're getting all the things. Totally. And I would just, as a side note, say like, if you Google how much does a hairdresser make, I mean, I think the number is like $26,000 or something like that. It just, like, maybe people wouldn't give everyone such a hard time for going to beauty school or, you know, maybe the schools being able to give out student loans and things like that, like the processes would be easier if as an industry, like everyone stepped up and said, okay, I'm gonna like be real about how much money I'm making because it really reflects poorly on the industry as a whole when like no one's claiming their cash and then it makes it look like people are making way less money, that it's not a good industry to go to. It doesn't get as much like respect as it deserves. So like you're really helping the industry as a whole to give it a better name when you claim everything. I totally agree. And I'm so glad you said that. Um, on that note, a little bit, what would you say? Because I would assume that that average number is going to be your net, right? Like that um, 
tax gloom. What do you think the percentage of like net versus gross should be? So on average for an independent beauty professional, it's about 50%. Um, you start getting into higher margins if you break that $100,000 sales mark. And then that's kind of like the sweet spot where things get really good is once you break that mark, your margins go up. But leading up to there, it's about 50%. Sometimes lower if you're even lower because your rent is so high compared to your sales if you haven't built up the clientele. But like a a well-run, like mostly booked, uh, like independent professional will be about 50%. So if you are grossing 60,000, it would be about right that you're making, bringing home 30,000. Exactly. It's a little bit depressing to be honest. You're like, so expensive to be in this industry. <laughs> yeah. I think, I don't know, it's just kind of wrapping your head around the fact that this is a business and that's how businesses work. You know, when I see friends or family members that are in like more corporate jobs and they have paid time off and vacation and sick days and paid in health insurance and all those things, it's like, ugh, I don't have any of that. But the flexibility you do if you build it in technically, right? I mean, that's what the, the owner, you get to yeah. do whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you want paid time off, set up a savings account that has X amount of dollars in it. There you go. There's your PTO. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, when you go into pricing your services, that's something you've got to like step back and consider is, okay, what are my costs for this service? What, like, what do my margins need to be is like, just as a bottom base. And then, you know, maybe you've built up like your brand and your clientele and you're able to raise your prices from there. But if you're just starting out, you know, you need to get real about what your costs are because they are expensive. Mm-hmm. And just this industry is an expensive industry to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. Um, we'll wrap things up a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your course and it's live and how people can find you and get to know you. Yeah, sure. So Beauty Bookkeeping is a QuickBooks course specifically for independent beauty professionals. And it goes through how to set up your QuickBooks, how to enter in transactions, and not just like the easy ones, but hard ones like Venmo transactions, these PPP loans and EIDL advances, um, you know, just how to track, like if you went to Cosmoprof and you bought both retail and back bar on the same receipt, you know, how do you do that in QuickBooks? So it kind of goes over all those more confusing areas. Um, Then I go on to teach you how to reconcile and reconcile is just a fancy word for making sure that every single transaction got put in. And then my last module is a budgeting module. And I just show you how you get to take your numbers from QuickBooks and actually apply them to your real business and how you can go through and make goals and maximize your profit. So that's the whole last module. It kind of takes, you know, the hard skill of learning how to do all of your books and your numbers and then bringing it into the real world of like, okay, now how do I make this work for my business? I think that's so great because in our industry where since the money is coming straight to us, it feels like a little bit in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And it feels a bit daunting to do things like budgeting and goal keeping because you don't have that like every two week um, paycheck kind of thing. 
But in reality, if you have all those numbers and you can see them month to month, there is actually consistency in our business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and my Instagram handle is at small business CPA. And that's where you do all of your, um, she's got tons of great information on there mm-hmm. and all that. And then um, your link to your course will be in there. Yeah. So the course is, the website is profitthatcounts.com. And I've got it linked in my Instagram profile. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. Definitely go find Michelle, um, get her course, get on top of your money and get better in your business. Thanks so much, Emily. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you liked it, and I know you did, please don't forget to leave a five-star review. I love hearing from other stylists, so take a screenshot of the episode and tag me in it at Mindful Hair by Emily. If you have a story to share and would like to be on a future episode, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. We'll see you guys next Monday with more Stories with Stylists.